Good morning. Uh, The scripture reading this morning is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The Pew Bible, if you're using that, you'll find that on page 832. This is one of the scriptures when I begin to read it. What happened to me might happen to you. You'll get a praise chorus in your head that won't leave you. You'll see what I mean. Let's read Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's a very privilege to invite Pastor Chris Gerardi to our pulpit this morning. Chris, please come and share with us. Good morning. Wow, it's good to be here. I, I know the Lord has a sense of humor. Uh, he has a lot of fun with me. I wonder if you can uh, testify that in your own life. But, you know, when, when I heard that the pastor said, be on your best behavior, and then I was asked to come speak, I was like, <laughs> we're going to have a good time. <laughs> the cat's away. Um, In all seriousness, I want to talk to you this morning about your biggest problem. Now, I I know some of you here quite well. I've got almost a pew through over my whole family there, uh, minus a couple. And uh, we have seven of us here. And I know some of you, I work with some of you. uh, We've worshipped together for a while. But... I also know myself, and my family can probably vouch for this, that uh, my biggest problem is myself. And if we don't solve this problem, it'll leave in effect what we want to do on May 5th, the National Day of Prayer. Yet my family's laughing. Yeah, he's right. He is our biggest problem. (laughs) And I can see my staff chuckling in the back and pinnacle. Yeah, he's our biggest problem. But whenever we point the finger at somebody, we got at least three, maybe even four, pointing right back at us. This problem needs to be solved, because I think the Lord looks down, He looks in our hearts and says, yeah, you know, your biggest problem is not the things that affect you outside. It's how you are inside. After all, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is to live within, and that is where our problem can and must be solved. We, and I think you as well as me, put ourselves to an incredible amount of unnecessary suffering and pain. And I think, and after we look at the text this morning, you will see it is a lot worse than you can even imagine. You might be saying, yeah, I suffer a lot more than I have to. You really don't even have to suffer at all. 
According to the New England Medical Journal, I remember reading this years ago, and I've only seen it true in my life and, and, and in other people's lives as well, that it says 85% of the people in hospital, if you trace back their illnesses or why they're there, it goes back to stress. Or maybe better put, distress. How we handle life, how we internalize it, how we tear ourselves apart. And for the Christian, we do not have to. The virtues that God gives us, and we're going to look at three this morning, can and God wants to completely change your life. That you look and react and interact with the world a lot better than we maybe even are doing today. It's not a utopia, this this Christ-centered life and, and living the victorious Christian life. It is a promise that He wants us to realize. You see, being a Christian is not the absence of troubles. In fact, one of the promises or statements the Lord gave us said, in this world you will have tribulation. But what did He say? Be of good cheer! I have overcome the world. When we are Christ-centered, we look and we interact with the world in a completely different way. In a way that the world, no matter what is thrown at us, cannot beat us. For greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And every situation that God allows us to go through is an opportunity for us to prove that God is right. How are we doing? You see, these Christian virtues that we're going to look at, they're not the absence of adversity. They play off of it. It is our way for proving and allowing God to work through us to His praise and honor and glory. To show that He is real. To silence even Satan himself who comes and accuses us. That our God is good. That He replaces this adversity with faith. You ever wonder when you look at 1 Corinthians 13 and it begins to describe what love is and the very first thing is that love is patient and love is kind. Why is it there? It's because it tries to show us that with God in our life when the situations weren't anything but patience and anything but kindness... We look different. After all, we are called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones to be different. People are to see this difference in our lives and how we react to the world and wonder, what's different about him? Have you ever had someone say that to you? It perhaps should be. We are different. I know the pressure of this world, we all want to be the same. We all want to fit in. But let me tell you, it's more important to fit in with God. And you and God is a majority. You and a thousand people are not. I mean, look at the last election or how it goes. We have millions of people. Just fit in with God and you will have the majority. You'll have all that you need. In the scripture, it gives us both a thermometer and a thermostat. You know, we made a joke, well, seven days of snow hasn't flown. And, and I know when we, we went away... Um, 
over east of the family. We went up the main, and I, I, I turned the heat down. As soon as we came back, you know, we turned the heat back up because it felt cold. You know, we should be able to see the signposts in our spiritual lives, which really affect our lives, affect our bodies. It affects our stress level. How well are we living? How healthy are we living? That we need, just as like we read the thermometer at our house, and then we realize it's cold. I remember one time when we were first married, I came back to the house after a long day of work. There's my wife rolling her eyes. She said, do I have anything funny to say? And I'm like, I can destroy a joke faster than anybody. But, um, but when they're not planned, <laughs> we'll see if I'm still laughing when I get home. But uh, I, I came home and the house was cold. And I realized, check, the oil tank had run dry. The landlord hadn't filled it up. You know, but we, we should be able to see when, when are we cold spiritually? And when we are, what do we do about it? See, now in our houses, we go and we turn up the thermostat, or we open the stove and we throw in a log. Oh, we do whatever we can. We want to affect change. We don't say, oh, it's cold. Let's just stay this way. God has given us everything that we need to affect the change to solve the biggest problem that we have, and that is ourselves. And each one of these virtues, and there's three of them that we're going to be looking at now, they're, they're like spokes to go back to the hub. The hub holds it together, and the hub directs it. And the hub is no one less than Jesus Christ. He is the center, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then from that hub, there are three spokes that we're going to look at that he wants us to have. And it's in three words. Joy, gentleness, and peace. If you take nothing away from this morning, I want to hound you those three words. How is my joy? How is my gentleness? And how is my peace? It's this trilogy. For God wants to affect a fundamental change in our lives. God wants us to change from being problem-centered to being promise-centered. From being self-centered to being Savior-centered. When we focus on our problems and we focus on ourselves, we approach the world completely different than when we focus on his promises and we look at our Savior, our God who is sovereign, who works out all things together for good, that he is in control of everything. He doesn't allow anything to come into our lives that isn't going to ultimately be a blessing. But when we feel like our life is out of control, and problems are more that we can handle. We wind up looking at ourselves and we find ourselves wanting. And we begin to fret. We begin to worry. We begin to treat other people harshly. And we have anything but joy. What is the painting? What is the portrait that we portray to the world of what Jesus Christ is like? How are we living? You've heard it said many times that the only Bible people ever read is what you show them in your life. I ask you to remember those three little words, joy, gentleness, and peace. Or better yet, and as we were told, you know, you can't get that chorus out of your head. You'll keep it there. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Or even take it a step further, and I know, and I know some of you can say, boy, I can't memorize. Yes, you can. You read this first thing in the morning, last thing at night for a week, and you'll probably memorize it by accident. 
But rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard both your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Commit that to memory. Have it with you. Because that will be your, both your thermometer and your thermostat. You'll say, boy, am I being joyful? Am I being gentle? Am I being peaceful? It affects right the heart of the passage. You see what it said? After rejoicing in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident at all. Right in the center. Right before we go to 6 and 7. It says, the Lord is near. That's the That's the hub. And now we see how close we are to the Lord by how much we are evidencing His characteristics in our lives of joy, peace, and gentleness. These sprang out from Him. To the degree that we lack those, I suggest to you this morning is the degree that you have strayed away from the Lord. It's the degree that He wants to pull you back. He wants this to be characteristic of his children. Now, I certainly have not arrived at this. But each day when I walk closer with him, I get to experience it more and more. And God is constantly reminding me, oh, Chris, where's your joy? Now, it wasn't gentle. Where's your peace? And, and, and I look at the thermometer and I go, boy, Lord, you're right. I need to come back to you. That's the issue. And let me ask you, is is the Lord asking us to really a terrible thing? Do Do you mind joy, gentleness, or peace? At Christmas time, you know, we, we proclaim it, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Or uh, I, I saw a fellow wearing a t-shirt yesterday that <clears throat> backed by popular demand and it had this peace sign on his chest. You know, peace is somebody, no matter what your persuasion, that we want, that we yearn for, that we realize with all the wars and trials and tribulations we have in the world, personally and corporately, it is what we need. Peace on earth. Well, God wants us to have first peace with Him before we can have the peace of Him. But God wants us to experience. God wants this to be your reality. That you're a person full of joy and who's gentle and peaceful. So let's look a little closer at each one. When are we to be joyful? What's this text right here? Rejoice in the Lord. When... <laughs> yeah. When things go well. Oh. What did Jesus say? If you love those who love you, what credit have you? Even tax gatherers and sinners do the same. So when you rejoice and things go well, that's fitting. That's all well and good. Something would be wrong with you if you didn't do that. But the world wouldn't see you being any different because when they win the lottery, they're happy too. But when we have a joy and they don't see why and they begin to ask why, the answer will be Jesus. And there will be a testimony to Him of something that they want. See, the 
the safest, the best place for us to be is in the center of His will, no matter what the circumstances are. Our daughter Lydia, she, she couldn't be with us this morning. Uh, she, she's in Africa. She's in Uganda. And she knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God wanted her in Africa. And she, she went ahead without any fear. She just turned 19 in April. Uh, she, 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 she'd never been on a plane in her life. She wasn't going with a mission team. She was going alone to meet a missionary that she knows in Tararo, Uganda, in Africa. And she had absolutely no fear. And as a father, I'm like, honey, it'd be good if you raise support. You've got no money to pay for the plane ticket. How, how are you going to eat? What are you going to do? Oh, God will bring it in. And it's like, oh. So I did all the worrying for her, and I shouldn't have worried as much. I, but she knew God was going to take care of her, and he did. She started raising support, what, six weeks before she left? <laughs> you know, we bought the ticket before we had the money to pay for it. But God brought it all in. And now here she's telling me her heart breaks there in Uganda because she's working at an orphanage where, where the, they don't have, and we have a lot of, even though we live in a post-Christian era here, we have a lot of remnants of the characteristics of the Christian faith. There, there is still some value of human life. Our country is really struggling with the value when it comes to the unborn, but there is some value that we won't even uh, put a guilty person to death or even throw them in jail or something like that. It might... And it'd be a little bit out of skew, but, but there's a value there. But in Africa, where she is, they have strayed so way, far away from Christ. And I said straight away from Christ. Do you know which was the first continent that was known as the Christian continent? And that was Africa. You, you look at the early theologians in around the third century, that Africa was the first place that was reached for Christ. One king in his kingdom was so, wanted everyone to be so blessed, he gave away all his money, and everyone got so rich that they didn't work, and then their economy collapsed. It was kind of funny. But uh, they, they had the gospel all to them. Now they strayed away so far that they have such little value for human life that a lot of the kids in the orphanage, and they're up there, 400 a day there, and 40 stay the night, that their parents don't even bother to feed them. They're starving to death. There's a girl three years old. She looks like she's one. There's another little child that was just left the star because the parents didn't even want to bother to feed it that can't even lift its head off the pillow. It is so weak. That the parents, even the fathers, don't care about their daughters that before they're teenagers, they're already being used as prostitutes. And then my daughter doesn't realize, I said, you know, this is how they're valuing human life. And you are a stranger. She's got a two-mile walk to the orphanage to go back to the home. And she doesn't realize that that may be a dangerous place. If they don't care for their own kids, they're not going to feed them, not going to protect them. What about you? And she goes, well, she goes, uh, you know, I don't worry about it, but there's this young pastor who runs and meets me at the orphanage and walks me back and forth every day. And uh, I'm like... Well, Lord, thank you. She's just oblivious and just happy going along. And the guy goes, oh, well, I've got to take care of my child. And he sent the person that he needed. God watches over us. He always does. But we need to keep our eyes on him. I just want to quickly, and you're welcome to turn to it, but you don't have to. I just want to read two verses just blow me out of the, out of the water when it talks about this joy 
In James chapter 1 and verse 2 it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face, what? You know this one. Trials of many kinds. It doesn't say a joy that we kind of tack on like a caboose of a train. It says pure joy. And he tells us why. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Do we realize that we have a higher purpose? That God is preparing a bride for himself? That we are the bride of Christ? And it's not what we have and what we do and all these things are the most important. It's not about us. It is about him. And he's preparing us for himself. Or look what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. And 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is being revealed. No matter what happens in your life, I don't think you have an excuse. I don't think I do. That joy is always there for us. Why? Do you know the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is circumstance dependent. If your circumstances are well, we are happy. But God doesn't say, be happy in the Lord always. Again, I say, be happy. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Joy is dependent upon the Savior. Happiness, the circumstances, joy the Savior. And then you look at the thermometer and you say, gee, am I really dependent upon Him? And what do we know about Jesus? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, if He's the same no matter what the circumstances, then our joy is an anchor that we should always have that nobody can take away from us. You see, no matter what happens to us, and God doesn't say everything that happens to you is good. No. He says God causes for good all things that happen to us. And he does. He works them out for good. I mean, you look at the cross. We have the cross up there. And one behind me here. Not a good thing. It looked like Satan had won. You know, we're told in the Scripture that, that right there in Genesis that the Savior, the seed of woman, was going to crush his head. So he tried two things all throughout the Scripture to try to stop that Savior, either corrupt the, his lineage or kill it so it couldn't come to pass. And then finally, here was the Son. And he had orchestrated everything together by betrayal and by political circumstance and, and meetings at night. And they brought them and Satan had his way. Before he can kill me, I'll kill him. But in killing him, he fulfilled his purpose. For Jesus came to give his life. God worked it out for good. Satan thought he had the ultimate victory while he fulfilled God's ultimate purpose. 
know, they constantly tried to trip up Jesus with trick questions. Should we uh, pay taxes to Caesar or not? Oh, the Pharisees knew that they had him. If he said yes, the people would be mad at him. If he said no, the government will be mad at him. There was no good answer. And he simply said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Render to God that which is God's. You can't outsmart God. You can't have a problem that he can't solve, that he can't work it out for good. That means we always have good reason for joy. So no matter how horrible our circumstance, our Father knows it. Our Father permitted it. Our Father is working it out. We may be looking at the cross like the women weeping and and having our hearts broken. But we need to look at the big picture. For God can take the darkest hour and make it the foundation for the greatest light. And he wants to show this true in your life. For as the author of Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Will you be faithful in these three characteristics? In this first one we look at of joy. To have a joy that no one can take away. And he did not want you to forget it. This is the one he said it twice now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Our focus needs to be upon him. When we stray and we're not full of joy, we have to do what Psalm 46.10 says. Be still and know that I'm God. Remember, that knowledge in Scripture is very intimate. It even is a word used of intimacy between a husband and a wife. You want to be intimate with God? You want to know him? You want to be complete in Him? You want to be one with Him? Be still and know. As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Ah, that's a hard thing, Lord. And none of it makes sense. That's okay. Acknowledge me. Okay, you see all this here? Know that I am in control. And I will make your path straight. You center on that promise. None in that problem. You are walking by faith. You are pleasing God. And you're beating the devil down. And you're being a light to a dark world. They'll wonder, why do you have joy? Jesus is there. He is with me. And this is going to show in the little things of your life. As we practice his presence. And I know in my life something happens and I get frustrated with. I, I either get angry, mad, or <clears throat> You know, you know what it's like? You ever get like that? But when I have God's perspective, and he looks down at my pitiful little life, he laughs. And my family often does too, as they are right now. <laughs> we should laugh more often, no matter what it is. I remember one time I was working on an engine in my car, and I lined up all the bolts, and I tried to make it really careful on the shrouding that they wouldn't fall and I thought I had everything in place, and I turned, I stubbed my toe on the, on the jack, I leaned against the car, the car shook, and they all fell down into the engine. Now, anyone else looking outside would say, oh man, you tried everything, and look what happened. We need to kind of look outside of ourselves, get God's perspective, because our natural is to get mad. And I can tell you, here's one of the hints, the way you naturally feel is usually the wrong way to respond, because you're responding in flesh. God wants us to respond in faith. He wants to bring us to a higher plane. So as you practice this joy, catch yourself when you're mad. When you're mad, you're not joyful. But God said always. You look at some of these verses here, there are sweeping declarations with with, with no little lawyer fine print on the Bible that's going to get you out of this contract. It's always. So when you're not full of joy, later on today, 
tomorrow, during this week, let the Holy Spirit convict you and say, oh, Lord, how? I've forgotten you. Remember him and show that he is God, that he is on the throne. The second thing is gentleness. And these are all connected together because they all come out of the hub of the Lord being near. This is evidence of his closeness in your life or lack thereof. See, the opposite of anger and anxiety is gentleness. And it is how we interact with one another. God wants us to be gentle, for he is gentle. Uh, Just going back to the text, you will see in verses 2 and 3 that this was the very thing that they were struggling with. And and the verses right, right before this passage where he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, he had a problem in the church with two people not getting along. Can you imagine that? Well, I plead with Yudia and I plead with Seneki to agree with each other in the Lord. Yet, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are also in the book of life. Christians don't always get along. And what does he say the next? Rejoice in the Lord always. Think they were going to get the hint? You know, when we get mad, when we start polarizing, we're, our gender usually becomes more ourself than our Savior. It's not usually a righteous indignation, it's a selfish one. You see, our relationships with one another are important. We are told before we can come and, and place our offering upon the altar, if anyone has anything against you or you have anything against them, go and make it right. And when you go... You better go in gentleness or you're going to cause more problems. You know, it's not good enough to say the right thing in the wrong way. You've got to have them together. Say the right thing in the right way. We're to speak the truth in, according to Ephesians, love. That means patience, kindness, remember? And the list goes on. It's these little things that we find the big things are happening in our church, in our families, and in our personal lives. You know how gentle God is working with us? According to uh, Isaiah 42 and Matthew 12, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Can you imagine that? You ever see a smoldering wick? When you are that beat up and that, that tentative and that troubled, God is gentle. He is gentle no matter what. He was even gentle to the demons when he came across them. He allowed them their request and threw them into the pigs. He was even gentle when he scourged them and ran them out of the temple. Can you imagine what he had done? He could have taken them and tossed them across the universe. So picking up a few little cords and flipping a few little tables I think is really minor compared to what he could have done. God is so gentle with us. And if we have him in our life, we are to be gentle with one another. For the, Remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. There's one of his characteristics. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And self-control. Remember, the Lord is near. People will see this in our life. 
You know what Proverbs 15.1 says? A gentle answer turns away wrath. I'll tell you a quick little story. I'm running out of time here, but when I was a young Christian, I came across this verse, and, and this is all new to me. I, I didn't grow up reading the Bible, and I'm like, gentle answer turns away wrath? And I, I, was a, I was a fisherman, a mate on a charter boat out of Point Judith, Rhode Island, and there was one time that we had 90 people on the boat. That's, you know, it's like 45 people on either side of this vessel, and you're supposed to have one mate for 15 people. I was the only mate that was there, so I take care of 90 people. And all 90 lines were in the water, and we ran into what they call dogfish. These are like little four-foot sand sharks that like to swim around in circles. When you get dozens of people catch dogfish with 90 lines, and they're all swimming around like this. Well, you had a big wheelhouse in, in between, and when they came up on one side, I had this big bird's nest through a fish line. Well, I'm trying to untangle this and take care of all these people, but the people on the other side of the vessel thought they had a big fish. Because I'm up here trying to, and they're yanking, and the hooks are going into my hands. And I just learned this verse that morning, and, and I was like, and then a guy came off the bow. He had just caught a 100-pound codfish, and it was my job as a mate to be able to take a gaff. The sides of the, of the boat are like 30 feet high, and you had to take this pole and go down and jab the fish and, and bring it up because the line wouldn't be able to handle it out of the water. And I was like, okay. I got all these people yelling at me. I got hooks being wedged into my hand. This guy is yelling and cursing at me to help get his fish. I mean, he, that's what his whole trip was about. He just got a trophy fish, and he's ready to lose it. Now, Chris normally would turn around and answer him in kind. You know? And uncharacteristically, the new Christian say, I want to try out a new Bible verse. And I turned to him, and, and no power or anything I can take credit for, and I said, look, I'm trying the best that I can. I'll get to you as soon as possible. I, you would have thought I took the gaff and shoved it through this guy's heart. I kid you not, this is a true story. He was so repentant, he stopped fishing the rest of the day. He followed me around like a little puppy dog to the point he got annoying. He goes, you know, I used to be a mate too, I understand you. And da, 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 da. it was just, he, he did not fish the rest of the day. Sometimes if you really want to hurt someone, love them. When you yell back, you just keep yelling. No one ever listens or hears what the other person is saying. Still waters run deep. You do things God's way. Even that one word said in gentleness can have a great, great effect. The last word is a whole sermon in itself, and I'll just give you the highlights. Is peace. We're told to be anxious for nothing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. Do you, do you see any escape clauses in these? God wants this to be your testimony consistently in your life. A lot more than it is right now today. My life too. You know, I, I, I get anxious about a lot of things. I get anxious about camp. You know, God just you know, gave us you know, 54 people signed up as, as construction workers and plumbers and everything. Just yesterday we had a camp. And I'm like, I got all these people. I have to buy the supplies. I don't have the money for the supplies. And we went, and they built horse stalls, and they replaced the wiring. They fixed the plumbing in Christie House. They cleared trails. We had a marvelous day. And I said, you know, Lord, I was getting anxious because I got to write the check, but you got to write checks with something. And I said, Lord, could you please help me with this? And, and I was being anxious. And, and God gave me a sign. Eight o'clock in the morning. We got there at six. I met with the leaders. And after a guy came to me, he goes, I'm... My wife loves your horse program, and uh, she just received an inheritance. I just want to let you know that she'll be giving money towards your expenses. How, mu well, how much did you spend? 
And I said, well, you know, we just spent $7,500 for supplies, and we really have no horses. We need horses. There's nothing I'm anxious about. Uh, I've seen God do it before. There was uh, a May when we first started the host program. We had vets and farmers and fencing and everything all set up. And I said, you know, we only have one problem. We have campers signed up. We're only missing one thing, horses. <laughs> and God brought them all in. I know that he'll do it again. So if you know anyone who wants to lend or, or, or donate a horse that would be good for children, please see me. We get anxious, but God is in control. If we're doing his will, it will not lack his supply, even though he may not allow us to lean on our own understanding. But there's a secret here, and God wants you to learn it better and better day by day. Be anxious for nothing, but, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. We've got to fill it with something, but in everything by three things. Prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer is not telling God what I want. That's supplication. Different word. Prayer is acknowledging him who he is. And when you know how great and wonderful your God is, your requests don't seem so big. But that's not enough. You have not effectively prayed when you acknowledge God, you've worshipped him, you told him what you want, you are not done. The third thing is, is an act of faith. Prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. Oh Lord, you heard my prayer. It's in good hands. Walk away with that peace. That surpasses all understanding, guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If you can't walk away, you are not done in prayer. God is not McDonald's. You're not going through a drive-thru. You're going to get it and leave. You might have to struggle with Jacob until the morning because God knows that you need to refine your faith to be able to trust him in that circumstance and in that situation. Allow him to do his work. Don't rush him. Don't be content to leave anxious for you are sinning and you're separated from God because you're not living with Him near. If God be for you, who can be against you? Nobody. So please remember these words. Hopefully you can remember all of them. If nothing else, have that little signpost of joy, gentleness, and peace. And the more you experience them, the closer you are to God, and the greater testimony you are to others for the Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so very much for such awesome promises. We, especially as Americans in an affluent society, want to have pleasure. And there's no deeper pleasure than a joy that no one can take away, that we can share in the gentleness and the peace that will perplex the world. But even as your disciples were arrested when the gospel needed to go out and were thrown into the inner prison, we read in Acts that they were singing songs of joy, of praise to their Father. I ask us, Lord, that you'd help us to walk by faith and make evidence to the world and even to ourselves that you are more important, that you are more real than any circumstance. For our Savior will never leave us or forsake us. Please make it this evident in our life that we're more full of your joy and your gentleness and your peace. For your sake as well as our own, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.